Hello, you're listening to the Terralex Podcast, where we break down current issues and trends in the legal industry. Join us as we gain valuable insights from our member law firms across the world, as well as from the in-house counsel community and experienced professionals in their field. We have a number of speakers with us today, including Carl Diacono, Monica Galea-John, Claire Sikuna, um, all from Fennec and Fennec, and Zoe Christou, Naya Morphy, and George Kalaniku from Noble Trust and Ioannidis Dimitrio. So with that, we are going to get right started. We have decided to do this in a discussion-based format. So I will start with some questions. Uh, could you please provide a short introduction on both your respective firms? Okay. Um, basically, I'm Carl Diakono. I'm the CEO and the director of, of uh, Fenlex. Um, representatives from Fenex as well as from Fennec and Fennec. Just a little bit of background, Fennec stems out of the law firm and it's, um, we started our operations in the late 80s as, as uh, another company, um, it wasn't Fennec at the time, um, and we came out of a need created by clients in the late 80s, Mortar um, looked at, looked at um, opening up its its, um, its services like towards um, a financial services and b shipping, which created a new industry at the time, and that industry created a requirement for the law firm's clients, which went beyond the legal. And the law firm at the time saw the need to set up, as I said, a company which would be able to manage the structures that the law firm was setting up for its, its clients, and in the main, those were uh, private individuals either doing trading or holding assets, or ship owners setting up companies uh, to own their vessels which they operated and or um, uh, chartered out of Malta. And that's how it started, as I said, not, not 30 years ago. Um, and that's a, a very brief introduction, and I'm sure we'll come to, to have the opportunity to say much more in, in questions to follow. Just to give you a brief description about the firm, Fennec & Fennec has been around for over a century. We are a service law firm. We are over 30 lawyers at the moment. We have, let's say we have expertise in all areas of law. However, over the years, we can say we've become recognized as leaders in shipping, maritime, financial services, and DMT law. What's interesting about our firm is that we are the only law firm on the island with our own tax department, as opposed to other law firms who would outsource tax advice to one of the big four audit firms. Okay, um, uh, I'm Naya Morphy, I'm the Managing Director of Novel Trust. Similarly with Malta, uh, with, with our friends in Malta, we share a lot of similarities, obviously. Uh, other than the climate and uh, fantastic beaches. We also share a very similar um, infrastructure and a very similar uh, business community. Um, therefore, we, we have a very similar history. Uh, Nobel Trust also stems out from the um, law firm of Ioannidis Dimitriou, um, LSC. It has been set up 11 years ago, um, basically as a consequence of, of, uh, um, of reacting to the changing environment in terms which we 
considered to be at the time uh, quite uh, uh, quite important. So we saw what the future um, would, would bring, and uh, we decided to sort of segregate the services by setting up Nobel Trust, by offering a more specialized service, uh, and by focusing on the on these services that are currently um, uh, super important for the country, and of course they require a very specialized kind of uh, of, of treatment and, and dealing. Um, I've let Zoe uh, from from uh, Zoe Christou from uh, director from our law firm to tell you a few things about Ioannidis Dimitriou LLC. Ioannidis um, Dimitriou is also a commercial law firm uh, with a multi-diversified uh, team of approximately 50 lawyers, which actually makes us one of the large law firms on the island. Uh, we provide general uh, services, legal services, and advisory services uh, to clients. We provide arbitration, banking and uh, finance services, commercial law. We uh, have some expertise on corporate law, construction law, uh, intellectual property, litigation, and public and administrative law. We are very proud of our clientele and we have actually been involved in most of the largest transactions on the island, including the privatization of the airport, the port, uh, the uh, biggest renewable energy projects on the island and uh, the largest uh, building contractors. Um, in general, as a firm, we strive to be prompt to provide informed services and quality services to clients and to maintain integrity and loyalty. Excellent. So how would you say that Cyprus and Malta's history has shaped the mindset and paved the way for the country's emergence as financial services centers, um, development in international business and growth in various sectors over the years? I, I will try in, in a few minutes, because you know, Malta has a very long history, but in a few minutes, you know, um, give you a bit of background as to how we are where we are today. Um, Malta, similar to, to Cyprus, was a crown colony up to the uh, early 60s. In fact, we gained independence in 1964, became a republic in 1974, um, and our economy was very much based in, in the early days of, of independence on tourism and on uh, a little bit of manufacturing and the construction industry. Uh, Malta has very little in terms of natural resources. In fact, it has nothing that you can call off. We, we did try to do some oil exploration. The only thing that came out of the ground was hot air. We've been a little bit unlucky in that regard because we have oil to the north and oil to the south, but nothing in the middle where we are. You know, um, up to the late 80s, our economy was very much built on, as we said, tourism, construction, and low labor costs for manufacturing. There was a change in government in the late 80s, and the government had a slightly different vision in terms of where it wanted to take Malta, and that's where the our our if you like our adventure within the financial services sector started. In the late 80s, um, the government took a decision to start offering if you like offshore services from the island, as well as to grow the Malta flag. Um, offshore services was successful at the time, and the flag has been successful from day one and has grown to be at times the largest flag in the EU and, and we keep changing places with, with Greece in terms of who has most tonnage on, on, uh, on their register. 
the situation in terms of offshore changed when the Malta government decided to apply for EU membership. So we started negotiating in the early 90s, and one of the first things we had to do in the early 90s was move away from being an offshore jurisdiction to moving to an onshore jurisdiction. And in 1994, legislation changed. The, the MIBA Act was replaced by, by a new act, and that is where uh, the basis of, of what we have today in terms of both our fiscal regime as well as our offering uh, stems from. Again, because we had no natural resources, the government was keen on ensuring, on ensuring that the human capital that the island had, which is basically its professionals and, 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 and the people on the island, you know, developed and together with the industry. So, you know, there was a, 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 an investment in education, which saw uh, a large amount of lawyers coming out, which was, which was uh, if you like, um, food for the industry, as well as accountants who today, between lawyers and accountants, you can say they are the mainstay professions that, that make this industry what it is today. Um, in 2004, Malta, if you like, had the next step in its growth within the sector, when it, it joined the EU, its, um, its fiscal regime as well as its, uh, its, 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 its uh, laws were screened by the EU and we joined in 2004 with, with the current systems we have being part of the treaty uh, at the time. In 2008 we had further growth in terms of our financial services sector, that is when we joined the Eurozone, it became much easier to transact uh, throughout Europe uh, and Malta being part of that, that, that European Union, being part of the single currency, became then much easier for capital to flow between, between Iceland, you know, as I was saying, the Eurozone and, and Malta. Um, we saw a big growth within, within the sector, which today accounts for north of 18% of, of current GDP. So it's quite a mainstay of, of the Maltese economy. Um, it also uh, accounts for a large uh, amount of people employed in the sector, both directly and indirectly. So, you know, um, it's an industry that's here to stay. It's an industry that has gone through a number of challenges. And as we all know, we're still growing through challenges, but it it's, uh, keeps us on our toes, keeps us busy, um, and, and, you know, makes our job interesting, you know. But, but the sector, you know, as I said, has become extremely important for the economy. And we believe we've been the very strong basis to be able to, to grow the sector even further, in spite of all the challenges that we know everyone is facing today in, in terms of regulation, compliance, and, and, and the banking scene. But I'm sure we'll touch upon those, those topics again a bit later. Over to you, okay, um, so, yeah. From, we have a very similar rocky history uh, like Malta. I don't know, maybe even rockier actually. <laughs> We've been through um, a lot of um, conquerors over the years of our history as a very strategic, uh, strategically situated island uh, in between uh, the three continents of Europe and Africa and Asia. Um, this, I believe, has um, influenced a lot the culture of the people in accepting, um, well, sometimes fighting as well for conquerors as a result, but still uh, becoming very familiar with, uh, with the international element. Um, so essentially, we've always been um, really um, uh, acquainted by the foreign element. And I believe that we've managed through the centuries uh, to, absorb, to absorb a lot of important and advantageous things that the different um, uh, conquerors and or countries that have inhabited the island, island 
um, we are bringing to the island. Um, other than, of course, the fact that we have served as a um, as a trading hub for years. Uh, so the fact that we, you know, we, we've had uh, different kind of nations passing by Cyprus, influencing the uh, absolute nature of the island being a, a trading place, um, has slowly, slowly uh, created a, a certain attitude, say, or appetite for the island to um, to expand into something more serious in the years to come. And uh, similarly with Malta, uh, we were um, a British colony. Uh, we got our freedom from the British and became a an independent uh, country in 1960. Um, after that, um, uh, we uh, slowly, slowly uh, started to develop our own economy, focusing mostly on tourism and agriculture. Uh, with uh, the main changes in, re in respect to the uh, professional services happening in the 80s, uh, when we introduced the international uh, business company regime, the offshore company regime, um, which then uh, slowly, slowly, and uh, with the uh, negotiations to become a member of the EU, has uh, resulted into Cyprus becoming uh, negotiating or changing from an offshore system to an onshore system. Um, and, and rather stamping that in 2004, when we have also become a full member of the European Union, and 2008 a full member uh, of the Eurozone. Um, as, as an island, uh, we have um, a very highly educated per, uh, pers personnel and people generally uh, tend to, um, to, to study abroad. Therefore, we had um, a wide range of professionals uh, which have supported this industry, industry throughout the years. And as a result of the, of the general um, friendliness to international investors, we have also worked towards establishing a number of, uh, uh, of, of tax advantageous provisions which have resulted into attracting um, uh, foreign investors to, to, to via Cyprus for their investments. If I can as well, Nicole, what, if I can, Nicole, as well, it has been interesting for more than not many people or, or a few people are surprised is that, you know, as an island in the very south of the Mediterranean, equidistant from, uh, from Gibraltar and the Suez Canal, you know, almost equidistant from southern Europe and northern Africa, we, you know, an island which has a Anglo-Saxon administrative system, in fact, English is a second national language or a second official language. So all our laws are published in English and Maltese. It's something we inherited from, from the times where you, you UK colony. Our laws, especially our company law, is very much based on the UK system. Um, so, you know, when we opened up to the financial services sector, it was rather easy for people used to the Anglo system, Anglo-Saxon system, you know, to come to Malta and do business because we've been using the same system for, you know, a number of years. And you know, perhaps Monica might be able to touch upon as well. Our legal system is quite interesting because it's a mix of continental law and we are essentially a civil law jurisdiction. However, we have our especially our company law is modeled on UK law. So we have, I mean, it, it is a, a mix, as as Carl said. So so we kind of we we picked and chose the legislation which suits us best, but obviously we have. We have also um, our civil law is modeled on, on Roman law, and um, but primarily, as we can say, that it is it is UK based generally. 
Yeah, I, I think we are, we, are more well, focused, we are more focused just just on this point, just to touch this point a little bit. Maybe um, Zoe can can also vouch for that. But I think we are more focused on the common law in the UK law. We do not enjoy uh, the best of, of both worlds. The civil law, yes. We are basically modeled after the uh, English law, uh, as we are also a British colony. Uh, but I think we'll go into that more in depth uh, throughout, yes, throughout the session. Yes. Excellent. So I want to jump ahead to something that I'm sure uh, our, our members are very interested in learning, which is, you know, what are the main advantages of Cyprus and Malta as international business centers? You know, what would draw a company or perhaps a client um, into doing business in your respective jurisdictions? Okay. Um, obviously, you know, we are a financial services center. We have an interesting fiscal regime, which has been around now for, for many years, I mentioned before, you know, as, as, as 1994. Malta works on a, a, we have a very strong holding regime. So basically holding companies set up in Malta can have um, uh, close to low tax on, on dividends received from subsidies. Um, I don't want to go into the technicality into technicalities because it you know it can take a bit of time to, to explain, but I'll have be happy to share um, data and sheet participants because you know rather than going down into, into turning this into a technical presentation. But basically we have a participating holding regime which gives exemptions to, to subsidiaries that, that tick a number of boxes uh, and therefore receiving dividends into Malta from from subsidiaries which are in Malta or outside of Malta that tick these boxes. Will give you quite an interesting uh, tax rate at holding level. We then also have an interesting tax imputation system where you have trading income, so selling and buying goods or selling and buying services, um, whilst our corporate tax rate is as high as 35%. With our tax imputation system, shareholders and non resident shareholders primarily can benefit from a refund of tax paid in more. So they would get a 673 fund on. on tax um, which is paid directly to the shareholder. Um, we're looking at, at adding uh, another benefit today which is called tax grouping which um, could see companies rather than applying for a tax refund and therefore paying tax and waiting for a period of time to get back their 673 refund by applying tax grouping pay a, a level of tax which could be as low as five percent um, on, on the groups on the group's total taxable income. Um, we've also introduced some interesting new provisions, something called a notional interest deduction, where what the government is trying to do, or, or the fiscal authority are trying to do, is give equity to, to, to anyone who takes loans from financial institutions, and therefore on interest paid to financial institutions, can get a tax deduction to their P&M, to risk capital put in by shareholders. So, you know, a shareholder puts in, you know, an interest-free loan, puts in risk capital. Therefore, that risk capital is also recognised as carrying a notional interest, and therefore you get a tax deduction on that notional interest, which which gives some interesting solutions and options to people who use mortar as as a structure. And um, obviously, there are you know solutions for the holding of intellectual property. There are some particular um, uh, industries, as I said, you know, shipping is 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 uh, an area that has grown extensively and does extremely well. We have a tonnage tax regime 
which has been around for, for, for many years, has recently been, recently been scrutinized by, by the Commission and, and has been um, given the green light in, in, in its form with some slight tweaks which have not changed much of the essence of, of the tonnage tax, but still very much as, as, as it was. We have a, a solutions for the aviation industry. Um, Malta has developed as a hub for the online gaming industry, which started in the late 90s and has you know, grown to quite a substantial area of business on the island. Recently, the, the jurisdiction has been looking at, at um, regulating the blockchain industry in, and encouraging people to use blockchain technology and register uh, their softwares and have them uh, uh, registered in Malta and regulated. Um, you know, so the number of, you know, Malta is always trying to be at the forefront of, of you know, new technologies and even new concepts. Um, so uh, is there one single solution that makes us interesting? I would say no. I would say it, it, it's, it's a, a number of varied solutions that makes the, the island um, what it is today, basically. Um, you know, and, and as I said, you know, I wouldn't like to go into too much detail because we'll end up taking much more than 60 minutes uh, that we have. Naya, could you share a little bit with us about um, about Cyprus or George? Yes, uh, thank you. I mean, uh, Cyprus has uh, uh, a lot of advantages as a jurisdiction, as an international business center, but we'll focus on the four main advantages. Of course, first one is its tax system. Okay. What's so important about the Cyprus tax system is, is simplicity. It's a very simple system that everyone can understand. It's quite straightforward. Um, there is a uniform corporation tax at 12.5%. Having said that, um, in a lot of different types of companies, the effective tax rate could be zero or up to 2.5%. Uh, for example, um, there is called, what we have is the uh, IP box, intellectual property box uh, regime, where uh, up to 80% of its uh, profit can be uh, seen as a notional as a deduction from the taxable profit, and therefore the maximum effective rate would be up to 2.5%. Cyprus has also the national, uh, the national interest deduction on any new capital introduced into the companies. And again, that can reduce the effective tax rate up to 2.5%. Um, of course, there is the other important bit that there is in the Cyprus tax, uh, taxation system is the, is the exceptional disposal of securities. For example, a company that is trading in shares in uh, bonds, um, on certain other uh, securities, um, is fully exempt from any taxation in Cyprus. Um, of course, um, there is no inheritance tax, there is no um, uh, um, succession taxes whatsoever in Cyprus, and we have seen uh, a lot of structures taken into that consideration in having Cyprus as part of their uh, legal structure. Of course, uh, Cyprus has introduced a lot of personal individual exceptions, therefore making it very attractive for um, uh, high net worth individuals or um, senior um, management to relocate to Cyprus to take advantage of these uh, incentives. Um, of course, there is certain other uh, incentives as well for startups, 
for the film industry, again, very specialized regimes that make it attractive to use Cyprus as their base for uh, implementing these, uh, these uh, regimes. Um, the second main advantage is uh, definitely the judicial system, the, ju the legal and judicial system, uh, which gives flexibility and is uh, business-oriented. Uh, it provides certainty as it's based on case law from the common law systems. Uh, it's definitely transparent and uh, it's reliable. Uh, the Cyprus legal system is also fully compliant with the EU. Uh, the Financial Action Task Force on Money Laundering, uh, AML Directives, the Financial Stability Forum Laws and Regulations, OECD, and FATCA. Uh, the EU membership is also a significant advantage for us, and as it guarantees an infrastructure that, that EU nationals are acquainted with. It facilitates EU transactions, and it gives non-EU nationals a stepping stone and uh, th um, the chance to uh, transact with the EU. So as you mentioned, another one of the main advantages is the, that Cyprus is, is a member of the European Union since 2004. That has been mentioned before and part of the Eurozone in 2008. I mean, this gives a lot of stability, um, uh, currency stability as well for the investments that are made through Cyprus and therefore is quite important to have. Um, the last one, uh, people say that Cyprus is an island of states. We say Cyprus is an island of lawyers and accountants. Uh, <laughs> there is a very, um, a lot, Cyprus has one of the highest um, uh, educational personnel in the whole world compared to percentages of uh, population. Um, because of these um, education, most of the people are educated either in the UK or in the US. Um, a lot of know-how exists in the island and can serve many different industries and many different investors. Um, but yeah, that has made Cyprus uh, a big advantage in able to yeah. uh, serve clients and their needs. And, and, and that obviously has also helped in uh, I mean, the private sector and the, the lawyers and accountants that are very active in this industry. They have led um, initiatives to promote new legislations which uh, uh, you know, uh, are happening in the rest of the world. So things that are happening in the rest of the world and are attractive um, have come to Cyprus as a result of private initiative, uh, of course, with, uh, with a certain um, uh, communication and uh, cooperation um, uh, of the private sector and the government. So things like, for example, immigration laws, uh, which uh, grant the rights of non-EU citizens to acquire EU citizenship, things like funds, things that like the film industry, as George has said, and certain, certain incentives, um, things like startups, the shipping industry, Cyprus is the third biggest uh, um, uh, regime in the world in terms of, uh, of flags, of ship flags. So, all these things have happened as a result of education, of uh, uh, reliable and high-level professionals, which together with the government have uh, initiated the changes that uh, uh, were required in order to be up to date with the, today's world. I think, Naya, as well, one of the advantages we have as islands is the fact that we are small islands gives us, uh, if you like, access to the authorities, which perhaps a lot of the jurisdictions don't have in the sense of, you know, as professionals, 
we are able to, um, I wouldn't say lobby, but work with the authorities to, you know, improve legislation, improve regulation, and, and you know, the, the authorities tend to have um, a, a, a policy whereby they would listen to the people on the ground, the professional who's dealing with the client, in, in terms of, you know, trying to assure that A, we remain competitive as jurisdictions, and B, that we have regulation put in place um, that keeps us competitive. Um, it doesn't mean it's, it's easy to do business in Malta, it's an easy jurisdiction, but, you know, we try to keep ourselves as competitive as possible, and it, it's easier to do that because the, the, the regulator, the authorities, you know, are, are accessible because, you know, because the island is what it is, it's a small island, and getting to meet them is much easier than getting to meet authorities and perhaps larger jurisdictions. That gives a bit, a bit of an advantage that, that, that we've seen and, and, you know, some of our competing jurisdictions, you know, are, are slightly jealous of. Besides the fact that Malta being so small, the regulators or at least member, members of the authority would also be people we know. Yeah. So that obviously makes, us, makes them more accessible and they would always more or less be our phone calls away. So that's the advantage that obviously our clients find extremely attractive. Very true. Very true. Also, also similar. I can imagine it's yeah. the same situation in Cyprus. So turning to the firms that you're here representing and to the manner in which these are structured, what has been the strategy and main driving force behind how the firms are structured today? Um, if you could highlight the commonalities between the jurisdictions, if at all any, that drove the establishment of a, a company separate to the law firm. Okay, if I can make a quick introduction and then I'll hand over to Monica and to Claire because they played an important part in the transition. As I said, in the late in the late 80s, you know, the law firm set up a small company which at the time had one and a half employees uh, who were handling all of the business. As the business grew, uh, you know, the law firm used lawyers to administer the, the companies and the lawyers were employed by, by the corporate service provider. As the business grew and became more complex and more skills were required, so what I mean here is it wasn't just legal work or setting up of companies and pure company secretarial work and there was accounts work, there were transactions that we didn't monitoring, the, you know, a decision was taken to, you know, separate what is purely legal and therefore move lawyers out of the corporate service provider and bring in the professions required to administer companies. So that is where, you know, the likes of, of Claire came in. Claire is, is trained by, by ICSAS, which is a qualified been with, with the company for, for many years and is today a director of the company and Claire was trained by, by Monica by and Monica at the time was the person responsible within Femex corporate services to manage the companies and therefore we saw a transition from lawyers to administrators to accountants to professions people with a banking and, and finance profession we have you know economists we have people of your uh, management people. Why? Because our clients' needs are way beyond just what is legal. And so we decided to separate completely what is legal to legal. We do not, we're not advisors, we are implementers and administrators as a corporate service provider and the lawyers do the lawyering and, and all that is uh, required in terms of advice, structuring, etc. etc. I don't know whether you want to add anything yes, on it. In fact, I, I, was, uh, I was part of this transition when I joined the firm um, 20 years ago. And 
um, that explains the age. Um, I was I was one of those uh, few lawyers where a team of, of three lawyers provided clients, um, and uh, basically at the time we thought that we, we could do the job until the business developed in such a way that we realized that no, um, we need other skills. So this is where obviously we started employing, as Carl said, people with uh, accountants, people with banking, tax background, um, compliance, and the likes. So this is when we, uh, the lawyers were moved out of the sector and the non-lawyers, the, the corporate service providers and like accountants and the likes came forward and and from a team of two people now, they are a team of 75. So uh, with the, Claire and I now work on sometimes on the same clients and, and we would, the lawyers would be roped in office to and the clients would need legal advice. So we would, we would assist on contract drafting, reviewing transactions, etc. Probably it's the, a similar setup with yours, I imagine. Um, well, from our side, um, obviously a very similar sort of uh, mindset in terms of strategic decision, strategic decision making. I think uh, we felt um, very sort of strongly the need, uh, uh, or, or let's say we've foreseen that the client would have become more sophisticated, their needs would become more sophisticated, and this. Uh, um, the decision to, to set up Noble Trust was exactly to meet uh, the expectation of the future client. So essentially, a client that doesn't come to you just to set up a company, uh, but a client that comes to you just to provide business acumen, a client that comes to you to provide uh, a business consultancy, to provide a comprehensive platform, which will um, not only set up its company and, and, and prepare the secretarial documents and means of meetings, but also uh, reliable professional people that would uh, uh, hold the client's hand uh, throughout uh, uh, all the stages of, of, of his or her investment uh, and, and, and growth and uh, development of its company. So um, this was the mindset uh, behind, uh, behind the setting up of Noble Trust. It was obviously, and it currently has uh, people from all um, uh, discipline. So we have uh, lawyers, accountants, tax uh, professionals, economists, and obviously um, pro uh, professionals that are very experienced in the corporate uh, uh, services and, and banking services. Uh, lately, um, uh, the, the team is also enhanced by quite a few people on compliance, which is uh, um, which is a, a very sort of important discipline nowadays. So. Um, uh, it's a one-stop shop, really, uh, for investors that wish to find solutions and, and, and wish to use Cyprus uh, as, as the base for doing so. I guess, um, from our end, what we've realized over the years is our business is very much driven by client needs. In fact, you know, whereas in the past we were typically pure corporate service providers administering companies, you know, today, whilst we still do that and it's the largest part of our business, but, you know, we're now also in, in the area of recruitment. We now also in the area of providing um, service offices. Um, we have a, a department called operations, which, you know, tends to, you know, end up 
get on it, split anything that doesn't fall into any of the other silos. Uh, we, at times, just this clients with technology, you know, because what we tend to see is, is you know, clients coming to water for the first time and they would want someone to handhold them through the whole process of not always setting up the company, but finding staff, finding an office, putting technology in an office, you know, and, you know, taking the decision years ago to, if we think we can do something properly and professionally for a client, we'll do it. You know, if we can't do it, then we'll make sure it's outsourced to a reliable third party. You know, and that over the years has, has grown in the business, whereas today we've grown, as I said, you know, we have, we have you know, what we call facilities. We have a number of employees who take care of the properties, our own uh, client properties. Um, you know, so, so it's, it's, it's become something driven, as I said, by the growing business, by people coming to more than doing business. You know? So it's quite interesting as our business has evolved over the years, and, and it's, it's interesting because it keeps our, our, our business interesting because it's forever changing. I think if I, if I may add, that, that we, we kind of make a distinction between the law firm and the corporate service provider, we still, I mean, we were housed until about two years ago under, under one roof, so and we continue working very closely together, and, and, and I use a, a good term, which, you know, it, it is one-stop shop in the sense that, you know, the client comes to us and he's serviced from, from a number of, of, of angles around one table so it's facilitating you know the, the client uh, having having um uh, to deal with, with the number of, of different pro providers so even though we did grow you know client still feels um, they had one team personal. you know and one personal mm -hmm. they, they, we've realized over the years that the client wants that the client wants to have a personal relationship with a firm if possible with just one person at that firm and that person will have to coordinate and make sure that all his needs are fulfilled and all the services are provided. So we've tried to do that over the past years, and I think this is we will also to remain doing so because it's one of the biggest attractions. Because people once they come to an island and they feel they can trust the them, they don't want to to have to shop around or, or go around for other services. It's interesting that, uh, Carl, that you've mentioned, uh, well, service offices, it's something that we've also developed three, four years ago uh, with exactly the same rationale and, and property maintenance and, uh, and, and, and management essentially on behalf of clients. That's also something that has, has been requested uh, uh, very thoroughly uh, by clients and uh, we have had to react and therefore uh, have, have followed a very similar sort of model in, in trying to sort of service clients uh, in this sort of, I would say, niche area uh, from one perspective, uh, because it's quite niche for, for firms like us uh, to handle this. But, but again, it's just, uh, I think, all these uh, exhibits that uh, we, as both jurisdictions, both firms, uh, we, we share a very similar sort of vision as to what servicing client means, uh, what servicing a client means and how um, important it is to be there for the client for, for any, any, um, uh, any requirement that you may have. Yeah, uh, you know, and also now one of the things that we're developing now, in fact, you know, over the past few years, we've had quite a rigid uh, timetable of in-house training um, because, you know, we have an obligation to train our staff in a number of areas where we're obliged to do it. And we've realized that all the training sessions we've put together have, have value. Um, and 
as of this year, we've decided to also start offering that training to third parties. So there is a wealth of knowledge that we've accumulated over a period of time in terms of creating training packages for ourselves. That value now is marketable. So this year we're taking that 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 product and going to market with it. You know, so this is you know the idea is that, that you know we when we meet we put together and and, and use to grow our business. So yeah, it's, that's what keeps our job, as I said before, extremely interesting because we're always trying to do new and different things. So that leads me to some of our other questions, and I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because I want to make sure we get to share this information with the listeners. And that is sort of the evolution of uh, this model and the challenges. So may you each touch base on what each firm considers to be the challenges ahead, both for your firms and as a jurisdiction established within the EU. Um, and for the benefit of our listeners, can you elaborate on the salient features that attract business to your jurisdictions? Let's, let's start with the challenges. I, I mean, it's, I, don't, I think it's no news to anyone that compliance and regulation have become a challenge that everyone is facing. You know, over, since 2008, um, authorities have been in overdrive in terms of regulating and over-regulating a number of sectors, our financial services sectors being, being one of them. So we have been heavily affected by, by the requirements, uh, A, to, to uh, keep up with, 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 with new regulation and, and, you know, compliance regimes that are being forced upon us. A few years back, we would have had um, one person would have had a, a dual role, handling compliance and regulation, in, in the last two years, we now have a team of seven. We have, you know, now a, a, an overhead cost of seven full timers handling, you know, compliance and, and our regulatory requirements. Um, and, you know, the challenge that that brings is not just for us, it's also for our clients to understand that, unfortunately, you know, the world is not what it was pre 2008, but today, you know, there is a, a move towards full transparency that the, the, the concept of, of, you know, privacy conflicts with, with our requirement to, to report. Therefore, you know, trying to marry our, our obligations in terms of compliance and regulation uh, um, versus our clients wish, you know, to do business and, and, and keep, you know, the, the, the privacy that, that he wants to keep. Um, and, and this probably is, is a bigger issue for, for the private wealth clients, for the individual clients, uh, than, than for the large corporates. Because a large corporate is a large corporate, they're, they're, they're being used to this. So I, I, I guess we're facing quite a big challenge in that area. It's a challenge we've taken head on, and I think we've, we've handled it well, and we're in a good position today. Um, you know, another challenge that we're, we're facing is the banking sector, where we are seeing that banks have become extremely risk averse. Um, you know, we all know that banks have been hit by heavy fines, you know, throughout the US and the EU. There have been banks that had, you know, big AML issues um, and recently, and because of that, you know, banks are de-risking and it's become extremely difficult for clients to, to uh, do cross-border transactions, you know, uh, because, you know, banks are, are not too keen to take on certain A-types of industries 
and also to, to take on certain types of cross-border transactions. So if you have to tell me what are the two biggest challenges, I would say that it's compliance and, and banking today. Obviously there are others, but those are the, the, the two main ones. Uh, we, well, I mean, in, uh, similarly, um, we, we see compliance as a very big challenge as well. Um, and uh, we have, however, adapted a more sort of uh, optimistic way of looking at compliance. I think it's a bit forceful, but I think if you look at if you look at it from an optimistic side of side of view, uh, you just realize that uh, um, by applying compliance, which can be rigorous, can be you know inefficient cost-wise and, and and very uh, time-consuming, you do make sure that clients are here. Uh, in Cyprus uh, or Malta or any of the jurisdictions of the European Union because they have a genuine interest to be here. Um, so um, we consider compliance in the long term to be challenging, but at the end of the day, if handled correctly, it could be a blessing. And that's why we as advisors, uh, we are here to, to hold the client and to guide the client uh, in order to deal with the compliance challenges uh, in the right way. Um, and a second, uh, banking is also, we have similar issues with, with banks and, uh, and uh, being extremely risk averse and uh, being extremely inquiring in terms of new clients. So uh, I, I don't have anything more to add other than uh, uh, what Carl has, has already very correctly pointed out. Uh, but I think another, another area where we see um, as, as another big challenge, not only for this industry, uh, for the financial industry, for the law firms, but for all professional services, is technology. Um, technology is, uh, is, is rapidly expanding in this world. Uh, it's being applied and it's changing our lives uh, uh, by the minute. And uh, we are all sort of looking, you know, trying to see what is going to be next, what is, go what is going to come next. Are, are things going to be replaced by artificial intelligence? Our things going, our smart contracts going to be in place and therefore will make our, ourselves a little bit redundant. This, this is another issue that again uh, makes us consider the future a, a bit uncertain, but at the same time also enhancing um, the, the attitude and the strategy that uh, we follow as firms uh, to be um, value added advisors to clients. Essentially, uh, you cannot just do repetitive work, you just have to do added value work and if you can do that then essentially you can um, and you will be able to overcome the challenges that technology may bring in repetitive tasks. Um, you guys anything else? Yes what I would like to add um, regarding compliance of course uh, the banks, uh, the corporate service providers, the lawyers, the accountants all have provided with the uh, AML directives that come from the European Union and provide with the same rules. So what we are trying to do here at uh, Nobel Trust and Lady Law is to educate clients. They need to understand that, yes, there is a cost of compliance, but the cost of not being able to operate is even bigger. So uh, we're trying to educate them to try to understand what is uh, the requirements of the legislation, what we need to have in place, and really uh, be compliant with the with us and the banking system at the same time will allow them to uh, to operate smoothly and uh, achieve their their targets. I mean, for one of the examples we have is the compliance with KYC, KYC, FATCA, CRS. Um, of course, here what we have tried to do is to, as I said before, uh, 
uh, trying for the clients to understand the concepts, try to understand why this is happening and how uh, these are affecting their operations uh, through Cyprus. Um, uh, it's important to, to see that as an opportunity versus probably competitors or um, uh, other, other um, um, factors in, in their industry they are operating, that this will, will provide them with a competitive advantage that would be able to, to run smoothly their operations. And if I may add, uh, it's important to note that our two entities are actually regulated by two different authorities. The uh, law firm is regulated by the Cyprus Bar Association, whereas the service provider is regulated by the Cyprus Securities and Exchange Commission. And though this uh, different regulation uh, actually gives us more administration workload and uh, causes some hardship internally, uh, we believe that it gives uh, better results and better quality to our clients um, in terms of uh, certainty. Fully regarding compliance is what it is, the regulators are what they are, and I think it, it would give comfort to our clients, you know, that we are heavily regulated, you know, but it's, as I said, it's been, been a challenge. We're happy where we, where we are today. We've invested a lot of time, efforts and money in human resources and in, in technology to help us with this. But I think, as, as you've been saying, now, you know, it puts you in a good place and it gives comfort to clients. And it also, like, weans out, you know, the, the, uh, the cowboys from the, from the Indians, if you like, you know, because compliance and, and compliance regulation requires you know, quite a bit of, of, of investment, um, you know, and hopefully, you know, what it will do is make sure that the players left in the market are, are good players, you know, and, and I guess both our jurisdictions want to make sure you know, that we, we maintain the reputation we have and, you know, that we, we, we get good business, you know. One, one of the challenges that there is, and I, I, I believe you're probably facing it as well, Naya, is, you know, the changes in, in a broad brush term in, 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 you know, tax rules, in the sense of people, you know, not being able to set up conduit companies, that businesses need to be real businesses, that you need to have a nexus to, to, to Malta, uh, you know, you need substance on the ground, you know, which has seen, I think, a positive change in the sense of our clients now, and, and, and you mentioned it yourself earlier, clients now come here to do real business, therefore they have offices in Malta, they have employees in Malta, they trade through Malta, they, they invest, they create value in Malta. So that's, that's a change we've seen over the past few years, which is, you know, extremely interesting. So um, it creates a bit more challenge for the client, you know, because he needs to set up a real business, so he, he needs to put in more investment, you know, but it, then it's far more rewarding, you know, uh, to both to the clients at the island because you get, you know, value add, you know, once that investment takes off. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we have clients who employ over 300 people today, you know, doing, and we had them set up 10 years ago, seeing the business grow. Today, they, they're one of the larger employers on, on the island doing real value added uh, in Malta. You know, that's the sort of business we've, we've been attracting and we're, we're happy to do business with. So you yeah, both. I think yeah. I, uh, sorry, just a very oh, minor no, mark. A, I was <laughs> uh, going to say, you both mentioned compliance as a challenge or an issue that you're looking to overcome. So as we come to the kind of end of our, our program today, I'm wondering if you can give us some information on whether or not you feel this is affecting 
the amount and value of business driven to your respective jurisdictions and um, you know any clear tactics you're using to overcome those and any closing thoughts. You know, I think as we already mentioned, compliance and regulation has been a challenge, but it's created an opportunity. It's created an opportunity in the sense that um, you take a good look at your business and you take a good look at your clients and it helps and guides you in ensuring that, as we said before, you know, the business you bring on board is, is, is good business. Uh, you know, most of the, the, the you know, we're regulated as, as they are in Cyprus by the Motor Financial Services Authority. And they look at, at our, our policies, our governance policies, they look at the way we do things. So we did have to brush up, tighten up and make sure we do things properly. It's, it's put us in a good place, you know, for future challenges. Um, so, you know, once compliance can be seen as, you know, a, a nuisance to people who are in operations because the compliance people are always breathing down their back to make sure they're doing things by the book. You know, it helps everyone work with, with a similar mindset. You know, we've got uh, clear policies and procedures that we follow. And, you know, we try to frame those in a manner that allows the operation to run smoothly. You know, it's, it's, it's as I said, you know, being painful to implement, but it's put us in a very good place today to cater for any challenges that can come out in, in the near future. Because we know AML5 has just been implemented, AML6 is already on the table. You know, this is the new world we live in, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a regulation compliance world. You know, get yourself in a good place and you're ready for the future. And that's that, that be what we've done to handle that. I um, if uh, just 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 as a as a concluding thought, I would say that uh, the European Union um, undoubtedly um, offers uh, safety, offers quality, uh, and these usually are should be associated with regulation. Um, we um, I do not consider us to be victims of regulation. I consider us to be countries that are. Um, fulfilling and applying the regulation in a rigorous, rigorous ma manner in order to, pr to offer um, this platform uh, to, to clients who wish and, and investors who wish to, uh, to find safety, uh, to operate in a market that is fair, that is transparent, that is free, um, and, and, and uh, you know, uh, a market that would offer security for their invest investment. I think this is, these are important elements uh, which unfortunately or fortunately um, come are accompanied by regulation and by rules that need to be followed. Um, so I think that um, um, I would like to just to sum up in saying that um, we see the future a future ahead of us to be bright. Uh, we believe that uh, professional services and uh, the kind of services that we offer uh, in Cyprus and Malta. Uh, to flourish in the future if, uh, if they're done in, in the right way, in the professional way, in a value-added way. Uh, and we believe that, uh, I, I, I believe that our jurisdiction, uh, both jurisdictions will thrive. Um, also, uh, I think the, uh, the um, Nobel Trust, the Ioannidis Dimitriou, Fenelix, Fenech and Fenech, uh, has, has obviously been a success story uh, for both firms, and that's why we are, we are sitting and presenting here today. And uh, therefore, we're just, uh, we just look forward to expanding our businesses further and, and, and seeing a, a bigger growth.